Facebook is being sued by almost all 50 states. Ellen DeGeneres tested positive for COVID-19. And we're joined by Sachi Cole as we examine the art of the public apology via Olivia Jade's Red Table Talk interview. The date, December 10th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Safford. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. And happy Hanukkah. First day of Hanukkah, right? Yes. Happy first day of Hanukkah. Did you, Casey, uh, first learn about Hanukkah? Because we're both not Jewish identifying people. But was your first experience of knowing about Hanukkah via the Rugrats? 100%. Mine too. <laughs> I've actually heard that, that that episode is an incredibly like accurate educational tool. That the Rugrats did a legit great job. You know, good for them. That's why the Rugrats are iconic. Are they are iconic <laughs> cartoon? If you have not watched, you should watch Gen Z. I don't know if you're familiar, but Rugrats really really changed my life. Angelica was my favorite. Who was your favorite? I like Chucky. That was my first taste of uh, anxiety, and I was like, oh okay. <laughs> and anxiety is canonically queer, so Chucky yes. is queer. So oh, Chucky get, is so queer. So queer. <laughs> Okay, wait, I do want to talk about something else today before the show. And that is about Brian Baumgartner, a.k.a. Kevin from The Office. Zach, he has made $1 million from Cameo this year. $1 million doing 30-second videos? I'm sorry, how is that possible? <laughs> it's, it's it's wild. That is a, that is a wild number. I mean, good for him, but also how much time is he spending on well, Cameo? Let's, let, we can do some quick math here. Okay, so $1 million divided by 365 days is around $5,000. So that's like 14, 14 a day. 14 a day, quick math. 14 a day, that would be, what, how many days, how many, how much time is that? So that's, yeah, you're like half hour. Would you do a half, would, well, it's not an incredibly large amount of time each day when you think about like how many hours there are in a day. That's just a lot of mental energy Yeah. per day, every day going towards doing cameo. But I mean, also, if you got a million dollars, would you do that? I mean, but Casey, not to like piss off our producers, uh, but we do this thing. All of us that work on the show do a show every day for half an hour a day, and we are not paid a million dollars. Breaking news. That's accurate. So, I would I so, would like a million dollars. I am going to take it up. With I'm our going producers, to be sending an email sure to we'll HR. I'm gladly be like, yep. Casey Zach, here, a million dollars for you and for us. Everyone gets a million dollars. Totally happening. <laughs> okay, Zach, it's time for today's top stories. What have you got for us? All right. So Facebook is facing lawsuits from the Federal Trade Commission and 48 attorneys general over allegations that it acted like a monopoly. Here's New York AG Letitia James explaining what that monopolistic behavior looks like. For nearly a decade, Facebook has used its dominance and monopoly power to crush smaller rivals and snuff out competition, all at the expense of everyday users. By using its vast troves of data and money, Facebook has squashed or hindered what the company perceived as potential threats. They've reduced choices for consumers. They stifled innovation and they degraded privacy protections for millions of Americans. These lawsuits demand that Facebook decouple from companies it bought, including Instagram and WhatsApp. These lawsuits, should they proceed, could take years to resolve. 
Time Magazine announced their four finalists for Person of the Year this morning on the Today Show, and we'll know the winner tonight. Those finalists are Joe Biden, Donald Trump, the Movement for Racial Justice, and frontline healthcare workers and Dr. Fauci. Time Editor-in-Chief Edward Felsenthal explained how narrowing down the list this year has been different than in past years. The hardest year that I've been involved in, so many massive stories all over the world, racial justice, the pandemic, presidential election, wildfires, I mean... A really, really challenging uh, year to make this call. You know what? I think that they shouldn't have gone down this route of giving us the options and telling us who it could have been. And then we're only getting one. Like, I think it just would have been from like a publicity standpoint, better to for us to wake up and it be one of those because, well, first of all, I'm taking Donald Trump out of the running for this as well as Joe Biden. I don't think anyone <laughs> wants to go through that again, but th- we're dealing with the movement for racial justice and then our frontline healthcare workers. I mean. So I I just think it's going to be people are just going to be upset. Could you imagine if they go with Donald Trump? <laughs> you know, I they have done things like this before. Like, I think Putin has been named and like people will do this to like shake the tables because they've taken up so much space. But let, let's just move on. I don't we don't need to make Donald Trump person of the year. We should honor our frontline healthcare workers or at least the movement for Black Lives Matter. These are the two most obvious things for me. But... I agree. Why are we announcing like the options in the morning and then the finalists at night? The public can't even vote on it. So it's not like they're going to switch out the covers. This is just, you know, whatever. Time can do whatever they want, but this is not the PR rollout I would have (laughs) done. All right, Casey. So get us up to speed on everything we need to know about entertainment and pop culture today. Well, Ellen DeGeneres has announced she has tested positive for COVID-19. She posted a brief statement on Twitter that read in part, fortunately, I'm feeling fine right now. Anyone who has been in close contact with me has been notified, and I am following all proper CDC guidelines. I'll see you all again after the holidays. Please stay healthy and safe. And this, of course, is just an end to what has been a very bad year for Ellen. Her show was plagued by reports of being an incredibly toxic work environment that included sexual harassment. On top of that, yesterday, BuzzFeed News' Christy Lee Yandoli published a new piece revealing the show was hemorrhaging advertisers and was having trouble securing celebrity bookings, which was all happening amid a huge ratings drop. Okay. I've texted a few people about this today, and I'm like, Ellen's having (laughs) an awful year, and everyone keeps reminding me that Ellen DeGeneres has made over $20 million so far this year. So my pity or like feelings of like, oh, such a bad okay. year are so small. So what you're saying is we shouldn't be asking our producers for a million dollars. We should be asking Ellen DeGeneres to give us a million dollars. 100%. To the show. And I'm putting this within okay. a bucket called queer reparations or no, a <laughs> queer media, um, you know, accelerator fund. Like we are queer people uh-huh, that host uh-huh. shows, uh, whatever. So Ellen should fund us. We're, you know, she can help us out. That's, that's my pitch for her. Yeah, but it is interesting. So um, Christy, who wrote the piece, she also talked to current employees as well as publicists who say they don't want to book their clients on the show. Uh, That's very interesting, but very true. It makes sense. Why would you want your client to be on Ellen's show? She just does not have that like magical power that she once did. Nope, it's all gone away. I was really impressed by, you know, Christy's reporting has been incredibly groundbreaking, eye-opening, has done a lot uh, to bring this conversation forward. But, you know, a lot of times these things come out and these celebrities are so powerful and nothing happens. But we did see ratings drop immediately after the premiere. So people are listening and reading and people do want more out of people that host shows every day for them in their living rooms. So I think accountability is important. That's a lot of what we're talking about today. How do we hold public people accountable? Um, so it's mm-hmm. happening and Ellen has to navigate that now. But she's navigating mm-hmm. it while being worth, I think, mm-hmm. in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So 
She'll be you fine. know what? And I want to know how we are going to hold Matthew Morrison accountable <laughs> for his role in Dr. <laughs> Seuss's Grinch the Musical, which is what I want to talk about next. Okay, so last night, a star-studded version of Dr. Seuss's Grinch the Musical aired on NBC, and former Glee star Matthew Morrison's take on the title character has left people extremely confused, myself included. Leading up to the show, Morrison said he had taken inspiration from Joaquin Phoenix's performance in Joker, but viewers actually found what he did to be very, um, sexual. <laughs> On Twitter, a lot of people were complaining about the amount of moaning and sighing Morrison incorporated into his performance, and while you won't be able to see it, it's important that you know there was a lot of hip thrusting. And I scorn every wreath, and I hate all the who's down in Whoville beneath. Especially you at home. <laughs> I, There's so much moaning. What is he? I just, why is the, the our high school teacher having sex on the grid? This is weird. This is really weird. I don't get it. But it, but it also started with him saying he wanted to take inspiration from Joaquin Phoenix's performance of the Joker. Why? Why was that the choice he made? Yeah, especially when Joaquin Phoenix's Joker was very, like, incel-like, very, like... Right. Like, w- problematic there. Like, that was a whole, oh, its own thing. But then to take that and inject that into a into the grid... <laughs> I guess he wanted to somehow stand out from Jim Carrey's Grinch, who, as we all know, that was the best oh, Grinch. Iconic. Iconic. He's so, he was so good in it. Um, but yeah, the the Joker's not the is not the family friendly thing. He was like, Yeah, I want to be like Joaquin Phoenix and the Joker, but also like sexy, like maybe, like maybe sex on stage sexy. No one has ever <laughs> considered the Joker sexy. Ever. It is not a thing, except in the Jim Carrey version, there is like a, a love affair that happens in it. But, right. I need, but that's a pure love affair. It's a pure, like, they're in like, love with each other. So um, I get that. But I don't need my Grinch to be sexy. Like, it's not like Colonel Sanders. I like that my chicken guy is sexy. I'm into that. Amario <laughs> Lopez can serve me chicken on those biceps. 100%. The Grinch does not need to give me glee, dad, finds Viagra. I don't want. I don't need. I don't desire. Good. Moving past it. (laughs) Okay. When we come back, we've got Sachi Cole talking about Olivia Jade's Red Table Talk. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Being a real estate agent isn't about listing houses. It's about connecting to people. I need to find new buyers every day. So I promote my listings using radio commercials from iHeartAdBuilder.com. Now every time I have an open house, it's a full house. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. 
Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Way back in 2019, we were all talking about the college admission scandal and one of its central figures, Olivia Jade Giannulli. Her celebrity parents, Lori Loughlin and Massimo Giannulli, paid a lot of money to get her into USC. They got caught and got very short prison sentences. Since then, other than a handful of ill-advised social media posts, Olivia Jade's been largely absent from the public eye. But earlier this week, she crawled out of whatever seaside mansion she'd been hiding in to make an appearance on Red Table Talk. Joining us now to talk about this is Sachi Cole. She's got a lot of opinions on it, and we want to hear them. Hi, guys. Hello, Sachi. So the first thing I want to ask is, why did she feel the need to do this? This was so long ago. Olivia Jade is wealthy, attractive, and white. With everything going on, do you think she could have just crawled her way back into her her influencer career slowly? I actually don't think that she could have done it without addressing it in some way. And I mean, I think she kind of tried to, uh, like a few months after operation varsity blues was, was made public. She, she made it a a YouTube video. It's like two and a half minutes and she didn't say anything. She basically was, she didn't, I don't even think she apologized. She was just like, I just want to move on with my life. And nobody was going to let her do that because it was such a bonkers case. And it was so, Uh, symbolic of so many different kinds of privileges that people have been and are still talking about. I don't think she could do that. And I think the influencer economy and the attention economy is really different than like just getting a job as an actress. I think there's a big difference between Felicity Huffman getting another role um, and Olivia Jade being able to sort of crawl back onto the internet and get some sponsorship deals, which is how you make money there. So I think she had to say something Uh, I think it's up to people who watch her Red Table Talk to decide if that's sufficient. Mm. Well, for those that didn't watch, I want to set the scene. Olivia's sitting at the table. She's wearing a really good suit. She's got that rich lady hair. And as you write, she, quote, patiently, dutifully, calmly eats shit. I'm not trying to victimize myself. I don't want pity. I don't deserve pity. We messed up. I just want a second chance to be like, I recognize I messed up. And for so long, I wasn't able to talk about this because of the legalities behind it, I never got to say, I'm really sorry that this happened, or I really own that this was a big mess up on everybody's part. And the piece you wrote titled, Olivia Jade's Red Table Talk is a good blueprint for her peers. Your take is that she gave a very good apology. What did she do right, Sachi? I mean, she, she said she was sorry. <laughs> Apparently that's really hard for people. So like the, <laughs> like the, the bare basics, having those be covered is like, far more than anybody else on YouTube has been able to do. I mean, if you remember like all those YouTubers who were fighting with each other a couple of years ago, they were all makeup YouTubers and they kept accusing each other of being racist uh, because they all were saying (laughs) (laughs) doing racist things. I mean, the apology cycle of that particular like YouTube scandal was silly. Like it was a lot of crying. It was a lot of poor me. This is ruining my life. People are out to get me. I, or, or like, I was really young. I didn't know. It's like, well, you know, even at 18, you know, maybe not to say the N word. So I'm not yeah. sure I buy that, but I mean, her explanation 
ultimately, like, I could kind of understand it. I mean, she was saying, like, she didn't know that it what was going on was wrong because if everybody in your community is doing it, if everybody's donating a couple hundred thousand dollars for a new pool, you just sort of think that's how it goes. Is that acceptable? No, but for her, that's the world she was living in and that's her parents' fault, ultimately. But I think it's, I think it was good that she sort of framed it in a conversation about privilege because that's really what it was. Uh, it wasn't really about the school or about the money or about anything like that. It was about the fact that she lives a life so luxurious that not getting into school wasn't a big deal for her. Getting into school wasn't a big deal for her. Graduating wouldn't have been a big deal for her. And she knows and knew that no matter what happened to her, she's going to be fine. So, I mean, it's good to come from a pretty humble place, which I think she she did. And I mean, she sits in that interview and just like, she just gets rocked by grandma in that in that video so right exactly and we want to talk about that adrian banfield norris jada pinkett smith's mom really took her to task about approaching three black women to host her public apology and she confronts her about it there is so much devastation particularly this year 2020 with Mm -hmm. the pandemic and everything being brought to the table just how there's so much um Inequality. Uh, yeah, inequality and inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, that when you come to the table with something like this, it's like, child, please. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I get that. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted with everything that we have to deal with as a community, and I just don't have the energy. What do you think about how Olivia Jade handled being confronted with that truth? Yeah, I mean, she just, she sat there and looked panicked. I think that's the correct answer. I mean, I don't know what else she's, I don't know what she's supposed to say. I mean, the alternative is not to ask to come on that show. But I think Olivia knew exactly what she was doing. I think she, there's a really good reason why she picked that show. There were a lot of other ones she could have gone on. And I I think that there's kind of a, a little bit of a weird, creepy element to picking those women in that show. I think it's it's very shrewd. It's super smart, but it's it's obvious. There's no yeah. subtlety there. Yeah, no, and I want to bring that part up too because just because it was a good apology doesn't mean it was an honest one, though. And some of her common refrains during the interview were, yeah. quote, there's no justifying or excusing what happened. It was wrong. I'm here to apologize. I'm only 21. I deserve a second chance. And legally, I couldn't speak out before. So it's like kind of a lot of air there. So, Saji, like, do you believe her or was this just a calculus some publicists made because they're like, we got to talk about your white privilege, so go to the the Smith, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith family table. Yeah, I mean, two things can be true at the same time. I mean, she can be full of shit and also be telling the truth because ultimately her version of the truth will be, it's subjective. So if she feels like she didn't know, then I guess that's true. If she feels like she had no awareness that her parents were doing this, I suppose that's true. And I do understand the argument of like, you know, all of this happened when she was basically a teenager, but a second chance is like, well, a second chance for yeah. what? <laughs> to, like to do what? Like, I don't really know what, I don't totally understand what that means. But, you know, I mean, I think like on the grand scale of like monstrous things people have done is this, I, I, this will be forgotten. And I think she recognizes that, but a way to get it forgotten is to say, sorry, I have no idea what she wants to do. And it, it, I'm curious, like if this apology is mostly for her parents who really need the, the public relations rehab. I don't know, but I mean, it, it's very possible to be 
telling the truth so far as you can will also be blinded by the things you don't know. So I don't know, maybe. You also wrote Giannulli figured something out about the public apology tour that a lot of other famous privileged white young women failed to grasp. You'll likely never escape a public narrative already written about you. The best way forward is through. So we know what you have to say, but in this case, do you think the audience and public believed her? And even if they don't believe her, does it matter? I don't think it matters. I think she did what she needed to do. And I don't, I ultimately, I don't even think like her audience in the future will be the same people who are necessarily watching Red Table Talk. I think she just needed to say it somewhere. She said it. And now she really can go forward and do whatever she wants, which is its own kind of privilege. And I, I'd be curious to know if she recognizes that, that because she is a rich white you know, California, you know, daughter of two famous people who will also be okay, who got very, very little jail time. And I think at the time around uh, her parents' guilty pleas, there was a woman who, she was a black woman, she registered her child in the wrong school district and she got jail time for it. So if you, like that sort of comparison is where people get frustrated with the inequity. So it doesn't matter. Like she will be fine. It would be interesting to talk to her in five years, frankly, and see what kind of understanding she has, not just about what occurred, but then in the aftermath and her ability to continue to be fine, to not face any real repercussions. I mean, not having to go to USC or whatever it is. I mean, that to me seems like a gift. So who knows? But (laughs) I mean, I'd be more interested in, in talking to her in a couple more years and sort of getting a sense of did anything actually happen to you? Because my guess is no. Probably, most likely not. Rich white girls can continue with their lives typically with these things. So. They thrive. Yeah. They really have figured it out and they continue yep, to they... thrive. And they make me feel bad about the fact that I don't own any choker <laughs> necklaces. So we're all struggling so, gee, in our own ways. I would choker if you really want one. I think you would look delightful in one. I can't wear it. I got, listen, it doesn't work, Zach. I have a very thick neck. It looks like I'm a tree that's being strangled. It just doesn't work. Girl, uh, I, if you were a tree, you'd be the most oh, beautiful tree. So we're going to, I'm sending you some. Thank I'm you. Going to that, was, you some. that was disgusting. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I love I'm a very like lovey-dovey let me give people compliments and Sachi is like <laughs> Stresses the exact me opposite out. so whenever I, I get a it. chance I'm to throw <laughs> sugar yeah. at Sachi alright well Sachi thank you so much for writing this piece and for joining us today this was great thanks for having me alright we have time for one more thing the movie The Muppet Christmas Curl is being re-released this year But if you grew up watching the film on TV or DVD, you got a different version than everyone who watched it on VHS. In the new remastered version, that lost song from VHS, When Love Is Gone, is being added in. For those unfamiliar, this is what that tune sounds like. It was almost always. It was like a fairy tale. We'd live out you and I. And yes, some dreams come true. And yes, some dreams fall through. And yes, the time has come for us to say goodbye. Okay, that's a very pretty song. Oh, and what's crazy about that song is it's so beautiful and it's Scrooge singing it, if you forgot. <laughs> that, that is amazing. Okay, Zach, here's my question, though, because this has happened to me. Has there ever been 
a movie that you've seen like on TV or something like that and you thought you were watching the accurate movie but actually something was cut from it and there was like a scene you had never seen? Wow, that's an interesting question. I'm I'm sure, but I think you have an example. So say yours. I do have an example. And now I think like maybe one day you'll find out about one. This one I did not find out about until four years ago. So I had only ever seen Love Actually on TV. I had never seen it on a DVD or anything (gasps) like that. I know exactly what you're going to say. Yes. (laughs) So so literally I've seen it so many times, right? Like every Christmas I watched it. And then it was four years ago. I remember I was at work at BuzzFeed. And I found out, oh my God, I can't think of his name, but the actor from Sherlock who plays Watson, uh-huh. who was also, he, he yes. is in the porn sex mm-hmm. scene thing. Mm-hmm. They completely cut that entire storyline out of Love Actually when it's aired on TV. That makes total sense because it's hard to edit. It's hard to tell that story without the porn because the porn scene. Right. It, it, so they did it. So it wasn't even that. Oh, a couple scenes. I didn't see a couple scenes. No, I did not know he was in an the entire movie. character gone. <laughs> it was potentially the least toxic storyline in the entire movie. Well, you don't like the stalking one. The what? The, <laughs> with Keira Knightley. The stalking or the cheating? I okay. just anyway. God. Okay. Well, now I'm going to be on the lookout for a movie that yes, this has happened please. to me because the only movie this made me think of was Steel Magnolias. My version of Steel Magnolias is Julia Roberts um, is alive the whole time. That's it. All right. Well, that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for another edition of DM 911 with Stephen Licati. And remember, Ellen DeGeneres, throw us some of those $20 million, please. Please. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. If dog people made dog food, it wouldn't be sold in a 50-pound bag in the hardware aisle by the shoe polish. It would actually be food. It would be made with real, fresh meat and veggies gently cooked to preserve their nutritional value. You know, like food. The Farmer's Dog was created by dog people who cook and deliver fresh, healthy food. Try the Farmer's Dog and get fresh, pre-portioned meals tailored to your dog's needs. Tell us about your dog, build your plan, and get 50% off at thefarmersdog.com slash listen. That's thefarmersdog.com slash listen. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network.